following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts... From Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad. And introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. It is Minute 59 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how you doing? Brad, I'm doing great. Ah, I swear I'm telling you the truth. Why are you whipping me? Uh, that's just really just for fun. So, uh, all right. You're so. mad. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So, unfortunately, our wonderful guest, Andrea, had to uh, jump off uh, this episode. She wasn't able to join us uh, for our final episode of the week. Uh, she is a uh, working actress who got a call from her agent, and you got to take that damn call because we're not paying anybody. But we still have great news because Jeremy is back. Jeremy from Geekish. He's been an amazing guest all week. Jeremy, how are you doing? I am finer than frog's hair cut into four different pieces. Ah, <laughs> oh, gosh. I always say, I always uh, do a der- derivation of that when my wife says, how you doing? It's like, oh, I'm finer than a fur and a frog's fanny. I just love that expression for whatever yep. reason. And she, and she just looks at me and is like, what am I doing with you? Yeah. Like, I'm waste, wasting my life here. This is like the aura baron relationship all over again. <laughs> I'm wondering right now, Brad, after you said that, what I'm doing with you. <laughs> You're hosting oh, okay. a show with him. Yeah, I'm questioning this entire enterprise right now. Yes. Now that's that's Star Trek. That's a whole different property. Yeah. I think we've all wondered about Enterprise. So uh, we're in minute 59. Stuff is about ready to get weird again. But uh, we start off with them getting lowered into the pit. So uh, Eric, take t- take it uh, from here. What, what what's happening? Yeah, as the minute starts, we're we're completing the sequence that started yesterday. Uh, the cage is going down into the swamp. The swamp, as it is meant to be in Arborea, and the actual set itself. I think, just you know, real life and fake life, I think it just smells bad. Uh, oh, yeah, this set stinks. You know, yeah, yeah I, I, I doubt that they had, you know, proper... I, I just I just can sense it based, based on the, the haphazard nature of this movie that that water just didn't smell good. No, I think what he's trying to say is it, it was more poop than water. <laughs> Listen, the guys in those lizard men costumes, you don't know if those were the kind of costumes that like once you're in it, you are in it and you can't get out and they're in that water. Who knows what's going on in those costumes? It sure looked like a wetsuit to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And whenever I, you hear stories about uh, filming this sort of scene where uh, somebody's in water or swimming or especially if it's like sort of mucky water, these are apparently the worst things to film. It takes forever. You're freezing cold. You're sort of stuck in the water. Your body temperature is getting lowered. It's it's just terrible. This must have been a nightmare to film. And I, I feel actors are always saying in these kinds of things that they're, they, get, they get bladder infections, they get kidney infections, because they're, they're in that water for hours and hours and hours for days and days and days. Yeah, it's, it just stinks. And God, and it's bad enough for uh, for Sam Jones. Um, but yeah, being in those snake costumes, it, it must have just been. And they're not getting paid any money. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. 
like well, the guests they, on our podcast. Right. Well, right. They, they're at least getting union scale. I don't know how far these Mingo dollars of yours go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, I mean, at the very start of this minute, if you look closely at the lizard men, one of them is like doing some kind of wacky mime routine or something like that. And so I got a theory here that Mike Hodges, one of the days he just showed up, he's like, I don't know what the hell we're going to do. Oh, uh, just, you know, kind of act scared. And, and, and the actor happened to be a professional mime. And so that's what he did. Yeah, then you know, the mime didn't drown him twice. And nobody misses a mime, so it didn't matter. <laughs> right. <sighs> Has mime humor but, gone away? I, it, mime uh, humor was really big there for a period of time, but I feel like in the like, last ten years it was. <laughs> mime well, humor. not 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 well, mimes no. themselves, but just jokes about you know. Well, no, we just make over fun mimes of with a car. We just make or... fun of improv comedians now instead uh, of mimes. <laughs> well, Weird Al has a song. She never told me she was a mime. God bless Weird Al. I remember, God, it's one of the lesser Leslie Nielsen movies because he would do the the, the Naked Gun films, and those were funny, if silly. Uh, but then in between, he would work with, like, less, like, because uh, I think he did those movies with Airplane and Naked Gun with uh, the Zucker Brothers. And then he would do, like, I don't know, Spy Hard with really terrible directors. And one of them... The bad guy was uh, Andy Griffith, and who was like, talk, we're going to make you talk, and then ends up being a mime. And then Andy Griffith's like, shoot him and use a silencer. And it's like, oh, okay, mime humor. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really funny. Yeah, I, I, I was caught off guard by that one. <laughs> uh, sadly, the joke, I think, was funny in my retelling of it than it was in the actual bit that was in the movie. Cause it was, uh, I, I am not shocked by that. Yeah. So, they're getting lowered into the pit. This is just going to be gross. But then, uh, speaking of weird stuff, we go to the, we, we we go back to Aura, and she is having a crappy day. Yep, Kala and Clytus are torturing her. Yeah, yeah. Strangely, I I found this scene to be that rather watchable. I don't know what that says about me, but uh oh. <sighs> yeah. Well, she looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Laura always looks amazing, and uh, the outfits and the colors are everything is really flattering. These sorts of scenes, like the beating scenes and the torture scenes, that's another thing that I think used to be a little more common. It usually wouldn't be a woman, though. But I feel like there were like a lot of movies, especially genre films, where the hero and it'd be a chance for him to like you know take a shirt off, and then you know he he'd be whipped and showing how tough he was. Um, I'm thinking of, God. you're thinking of the episode of Star Trek where they whipped Kirk and Spock. Was it the Nazi planet one? There was that. There was also the Dolph Lundgren masters of the universe. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. Lethal weapon. They do it to Mel Gibson, a lethal weapon. Yep. Jesus Christ superstar. They do it in there. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it was a, it was a trope that was around there for a while, but again, Having it being a beautiful woman, um, and, and also there's a bit of subjective camera angle because you know they're really have that camera just pointed right at her butt as with her legs spread. I might add. <laughs> yeah, and also what was um, something that popped out at me is you, you see scenes where people are, and not even one necessarily with the, the the whipping happening, but you see plenty of scenes where the, the good guy is or is captured and you know being held down 
what the one thing that really um, caught my eye was what they're holding her down with, and it's 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 not uh, chains, it's not handcuffs, it's not rope, it's these gloves. Gauntlets. Yeah, these gauntlets holding her down, and that just. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's the same it's the same gauntlet that Judo flips Flash at the start of the uh, Mongo scenes. It also matches uh, Clytus's golden arm. Yeah. yeah. You ever wonder what happened to Clytus? <laughs> I'm we, thinking like an, an industrial accident or something. I, I'm wondering if he pissed off Ming at some point and Ming just took the arm off. Oh, that could very well be. And and the face. Oh well, he's got a face. We learn later in the movie he's got a face, all right. Well, we learn he's got a tongue and eyeballs. I just wonder what's <laughs> before that. Yeah, I love how Kala says, you know, we don't like doing this at all. Yeah, that was we, it's very believable. <laughs> we don't want to hurt you. No, That's, no, no. That certainly comes through in your actions. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then the fact that she says it and then immediately pulls up the whipper again. Uh, my note for that is, we don't like doing this. Is like that is a lie. <laughs> Look, here's my thought if the outfit you're wearing when you whip somebody has no armpits so your sweat doesn't congeal on the inside of your shirt you spend too much time whipping people <laughs> yeah if she's if, if you get tennis elbow from uh the mm-hmm. whippings you're overdoing <laughs> the whippings yeah if you whip people until you're tired and sweaty you're going <laughs> overboard It'd be uh, it'd be great if like uh, they had just one little scene of her like leaving the room and it's like shaking out her arms like ah jeez I'm gonna have to see Doctor uh, Fezziwig again because uh, <laughs> his workplace injuries are just too much. I got Whipper's elbow, Flogger's forearm, whatever it is. Poor Ara, she's acting the hell out of it, uh, and they do just enough to like her hair's a little disheveled because up at this point in the entire movie. Ara is put together. There's not a hair out of place. Her makeup is beautiful and perfect. And uh, seeing her look a little disheveled just is 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 weird. Um, and, and such a and another sudden turn of events. This is something we talked about in the last minute where we didn't see the the Zarkov revealing that he wasn't actually brainwashed happened off screen. And this is the same thing where. There was no scene of Ara showing up and them, you know, getting arrested or, you know, getting taken prisoner. It's just everything's hunky-dory. She was making out with Baron while planning on banging Flash. And now there she is, you know, being held down and whipped. It's like, wow, they, uh, they're just jumping from scene to scene. But, it, um, you know, Jeremy, as you point out, that's just very much part of the comic strip nature of Flash Gordon. Yeah, it definitely plays into the, the I, I don't even know if you call it tropes, but it definitely plays into the past of Flash Gordon. I mean, I, I sent you guys that picture of a whipping scene of Flash in one of the Ocean Kingdoms where they're whipping Dale. Bondage is very much part of the visual lexicon of this fantasy strip. It just it very much is. I, I don't you know, I don't know how much to read into that or how much to expand upon that, but it's definitely part of the legacy and part of the lineage of Flash Gordon. And there just seems like there's was it and I don't know, maybe I'm uh, over extrapolating, but it just seems like in that era there there was just a lot of that going on because uh it's pretty well known that it, and it's been written about many, many times about 
all the uh, bondage aspects of the early Wonder Woman uh, comics. You would not go an episode without Wonder Woman getting tied up. And well, that was you have to remember too. Wonder Woman lost her powers when a man bound her hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and also the fellow that created Wonder Woman, it not only invented the lie detector, but was also in a three way relationship and was a psychiatrist and a bit of a pervert. And oh, yeah. I'm not saying pervert's a bad thing. I'm just saying there's definitely an underlying story to why Wonder Woman ended up the way Wonder Woman did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was, um, yeah, it's a fascinating story. If you ever have a chance, ah, I can't remember the name of the book. There was an excellent book about the creation of Wonder Woman. And it was this uh, polyamorous relationship, uh, husband and wife, and invited the third woman into their lives. And she... His wife and his their partner lived together after he passed away. Yep. Um, so yeah. No, they were they were a definite triple. Right. Which I guess is the three ver- three person version of a couple. Right. Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so a lot of craziness in this scene, and it does call back to the original strip. Uh, it, it was. The, the sexual politics of the Flash Gordon comic strip, they are alive and well in this movie. And, you know, good for them. Good for them for doing that in this movie. This was a big budget movie. And it's uh, a little harder to fly under the radar as opposed to a comic strip. You could get you could get away with surprisingly large amount of stuff, especially then. As was everything, suddenly there becomes too much of a... You get more and more of a focus. Also, you had the like the big multi-million dollar idea comics later, you know, Garfield and Calvin and Hobbes, where there was just too much popularity and which brought too much, um, too many eyes on it. But, uh, yeah, this is, this is definitely a throwback. Well, and you got to remember too, uh, during Flash Gordon's day, it was still mid depression and the newspaper was your TV, your radio, your movie theater and everything all put together. And part of that was these big over the top, uh, sci-fi and fantasy stories back then serialized stories were a bigger part of comic strips than they have been in our lifetime. I can't remember the last time I actually read a, a, a comic in a newspaper. I, I can't remember the last time I picked up a newspaper that that's, that's a bit of a dying, uh, it, it's obviously a dying field, but, um, actually that brings me a question. When was the last time you guys read comics in a newspaper? A few Years ago, for me. A few weeks ago, I was getting my shoes shined, and there was a, <laughs> the newspaper was there, and I went and read the comic strips while they shined my shoes. That's it. And I remember going through the phase where uh, every morning I would go, you know, as kids would often do, I would go down and downstairs in the morning. My dad would be reading you know, the sports page. Mom would be reading. Uh, the business section, and I was like, there would be me and my sister fighting over the comics. Um, and it would just be um, pretty amazing the way it would you know, slowly go away, slowly go away. And, um, you know, now I, I have a USA Today app on my phone. That's the only way I read the paper because the, the headlines pop up. Um, the only comic I read is uh, Least I Can Do, or At Least I Could Do. Uh, which is an online comic exclusively, and which allows it to have a much more adult content than um, you know, you know, you'll get from Garfield. All right, uh, Eric, what else do we have from this minute? 
Well, I want to call out Peter Wingard because I think he's in a he is in a zone in this minute when he's just he's getting angry and he is just bringing it in this minute. He goes, you know, he's this lying is such a waste of time. Who do you imagine you're protecting? Prepare him for torture. I mean, he's just he is full blown bringing it in this minute. Love it. Um, there is so much subtext and character to the Clytus character. I actually love the storytelling involved with him because I mean, she says it here where, you know, you're a liar. Well, it's, you're like, your obsession with me is, you know, you're a pervert and blah, blah, blah. And your obsession with me has driven you crazy. It has. And it shows with him the entire way through, like everything Ming promises him is like, Hey, maybe I'll throw my daughter at you. Right. You never know. Yeah. Clytus has one of the more interesting stories in this movie because, um, there is an arc to him, uh, which you don't really have with uh, Ming. I mean, Ming's just Ming from start to end. Uh, I mean, aside from the fact that he wants to marry or you know sleep with Dale, but that isn't really any sort of arc to him. That's just the way he is. Um, but Clytus has a little bit more of an arc. He has a lot of different things going on and a lot of subtext to what he does. And something we'll talk about next week, I think they actually did him a little bit of disservice because they sort of cut the legs out from what I thought could have been what could have been an interesting story uh, of him. At one point, it looked like he was sort of doing all this behind Ming's back, and then we actually find out it goes in a different direction. On one hand, it's a little disappointing because that could have been an interesting subplot. On the other hand, it's good that they sort of subverted the expectations. Well, Ming is a true comic book villain. He's just evil for the sake of being evil. There's no redemption. There's no... He doesn't have an ultimate goal except to, you know, bag all the chicks he can and to, you know, keep control of the planet Mongo. He is just evil because evil is awesome and good is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always love a Spaceballs reference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a hedonist, you know, he's just he he, he wants to rule and he wants to feel good. And that's yeah. it. There's nothing else to it. And just how awesome is Max von Sydow in this role, too? Ugh, he just he looks like he is loving every second of playing oh, this yeah. character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. It, it's and uh, uh, we've talked a thousand times already about the problems with the main character, and uh, but it, regardless of that, this was a great actor having a great time and. I, I I hope he had as much fun with this doing this role as we had watching him. Do, do we know? I'm trying to remember, Eric, if we've talked about uh, Sidel's recollection or any fondness that he held for this movie. Yeah, I I'm trying to think. I don't know that I've ever really seen anything online uh, of him saying anything. I mean, I've certainly I've heard interviews with Sam Jones talk about working with him on the movie and that you know he was very professional and. You know, and I've heard uh, uh, Melody Anderson talk about him in the movies and saying, that, you know, he seemed to really be enjoying himself. But that's coming from other people saying it about him. I don't know that I've ever heard him specifically personally say anything. Well, he used to take a lot of these roles. Like another one he played was the uh, the king in the middle of Conan the Barbarian, another De Laurentiis film. Um, and he played a king. Well, he plays the king who's just throwing the jewels at them by the goblets and the handful. Like, get my daughter back, blah, blah, blah. And it's it's kind of a sad, broken version of Ming the Merciless when you watch it with the knowledge of who he also played, you know. Because he says all, what is it? It's a great line, too. It's all the gems lose their, their uh, luster and all the gold loses its gleam. And the only thing left is a father's love for his daughter. 
you know, and he's just dumping, you know, dumping gems on him. Bring him, bring her back to me, bring her back to me. And it's just such a great scene. He is good. That man could read a phone book and be good. And it's sort of a thing that happens with, uh, actors of his caliber where you think, Oh, he's a, he's a classically trained actor. He's a, you know, he's an Oscar caliber, um, talent. And you think, Oh, he just must get all these great prestige roles. It actually doesn't work like that um the problem is when you're that caliber an actor but you're not a leading you know you're you're not a no you're not they a cast man. they cast him to hold everybody else up right and yeah. he makes everybody else look good just by being there right, right. so yeah. he, he's gonna get cast in a lot of these things playing bad guys and movies that might be a little funny or a little cheesy um and that's sort of what happens to to great actors. I, I'm thinking um, right now of um, Jonathan Price, who um, like went from winning his Tony for Miss Saigon, and then a year or two later he was playing the bad guy in Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, one of the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. And it, you know, it wasn't a bad Bond movie by any stretch, but it was still a thing of this was a world class actor, but you know he wasn't. You know, handsome leading man or an action star, and so it's like, well, what are you gonna do? It's like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say uh, hello, Mr. Bond, and try to kill him in an easily escapable yeah. plan. Well, I mean, there's a the thing. There's stars and there's actors, you know, and you got to have them both in there. You got to have the stars to sell the tickets and the actors to make it watchable. Yeah, I remember there was a, a phase in the '90s where there was when you had all the, um, you know really buff or accomplished martial artists, action stars, and trying to, to build movies around them. And, okay, you have Arnold Schwarzenegger. We, when we would try to comedy, let's give him Danny DeVito. He's a really good actor. Um, you know, Steven Seagal, each movie makes a little bit more money. Let's try to make him like an A-list star. It's like, okay, let's do Under Siege and give him Tom Lee Jones to act against. And yeah, th- th- that was that was a really seemed like a big thing during that era because you had all of a sudden a lot of a- movie stars who were who weren't trained actors or weren't, just weren't very good actors. And that's it's actually what you have here. And you know we love Sam Jones, but this was obviously a guy who didn't have a lot of experience in front of the camera. Well, he did with his pants off. He was in Playgirl <laughs> a few years before this. Now, you know what? One thing I've always wondered about, because I've never gotten a straight answer from anybody, and I'm not going to say what I was told when I asked him directly about it. More people than less have told me that's not even his voice. It's right? not. Okay. Now, he may or may not have said otherwise mm, to me. Wait, hold on. Um, so he's, he's claiming that that is I I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you that I've heard it multiple ways right? and I've met the man and now he has a slight Houston accent. I don't know if he's always had it, I'd, but that's not the voice he speaks with now. He's gruffer. He's not as lilting in his speech, but I may or may not have heard that he may or may not have said that that was him. <laughs> Our understanding, and I think, and you have read read this as well, Eric. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. That, uh, yeah, they um, they ADR'd another actor ADR'd all of his lines. Because... Yeah, that uh, he uh, he got into a dispute before the shooting was done with Dino De Laurentiis, 
and he basically left the production, and they had to do a couple of pickup shots with a stunt double from the back, and they had to do the ADR, and they didn't have him for it, so they, they brought in someone else to do it, and he didn't even do any publicity uh, for the movie. They had Max von Sydow be the focus of the publicity. I mean, they didn't even have him do the publicity. And that part of it was that they had to have one voice. They couldn't have Flash's voice sounding different throughout the movie, so they just overdubbed his entire uh, his entire role. Yeah, and now some people will tell you that De Laurentiis heard him speak and said he can star in it, but he can't do the voice. He doesn't sound heroic. Which, hmm. that's interesting, and I'm sure there's a thousand different stories. That sounds like such a stretch. No, don't get me wrong. Sam Jones looks like Flash Gordon, but wow, that is a uh, that is a daring thing to do, and I can't think of a case of. I, I, well, I, when when Schwarzenegger almost starred in this, that oh. was the plan too. Yes, yeah, right. And Schwarzenegger yeah. was overdubbed in like uh, one, his Hercules. Hercules, Hercules comes to New York. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's overdubbed in that. It was not an uncommon thing to do back then. Yeah, because right. you got to remember, most most outdoor scenes are looped, anyways. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, listen, IMDb has in the cast list; it has the name of someone, and it says Flash's voice. Yeah. Uh, I look, and like I said, I'm not saying I heard heard yeah. otherwise or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but I have heard versions of the story where it's no, no, that's not the case at all. Yeah, um, and it's one of those things where the thing's been repeated so many times, you just accept it as fact. Mm-hmm. And like you say, we've all heard uh, Sam Jones talk, so and it sounds like a different guy. But there was enough, there was enough distance in between Flash Gordon and you know other stuff he's done, and you know except for the people who saw Highwayman. So those five people, yeah, or or the Spirit uh, pilot that he made for TV. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know about that until I met him. I was like, well, get out! I didn't know Will Eisner had ever even tried to get a TV series. Yes, yeah. Uh, gosh, I think we, we, we've had a guest who was a fan of that show. Yeah, Joe really Stuber. Like, right. Yeah, uh, I hadn't even heard about this show until we started doing this podcast. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, it's like um, when I talked to Sam Jones, I was like, hey, so did you grow up on the Buster Crab serials? He's like, oh, yeah. He goes, I actually did the Mike Douglas show with Buster Crab when I was cast. I'd never heard that before. Wow. Yeah, I had never heard that before. He's like, oh, yeah, me and me and Buster Crab actually sat in a studio together and talked Flash Gordon with Mike Douglas. And I was like, OK, you got to give me a minute to kind of pull my back together because <laughs> I've never even heard anything that even hinted that you met Buster Crab. And I know he was alive when this was done because he was on that episode of Buck Rogers where he played Captain Gordon. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, Buck Rogers. It's just, um, it's funny. I don't think we've talked too much about Buck Rogers, although the, you know these are obviously, you know, v- close cousins, uh, Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers. Um, and, and, but yeah, that was a, that was a crazy show. And I, I don't know. I, I can't remember the last time I saw an episode of it. Every now and then you would see, like, I want to say TV Land would have, uh, or my TV would run old episodes. It's like, uh. It, it, I, I still watch the pilot a couple times a year. Well, all I have to say is Aaron Gray's silver jumpsuit. My only other note for the minute is that uh, I noticed that there's um, those little, there's some little, little dinky small doors in this torture room 
uh, similar to the ones that were in the morgue where Flash's coffin was that the small little coffin guys uh, scurried back into. And so I'm wondering if uh, they also help out in the torture room here and if there's some sort of network maybe that connects all of the rooms through their little small doors. These guys are just basically house elves like in Harry Potter. And, And I don't think anybody notices them anymore. That's that's who Flash should be trying to get on his side to team up with, because they're everywhere. Nobody notices him. It's like I'm pretty sure one of these guys could get close enough to uh, to, to to do in uh, Ming. Well, you know, a big part of the comic strip is Flash going from kingdom to kingdom and facing some peril, and then winning over whoever the ruler was of that kingdom. You know, so he had the the Hawkman, the Arborians, the the uh, uh, Phrygia. The Ocean Kingdom, the Shark Men, the Lion Men, and that's how they get an army together at the end that's big enough to do it. They kind of they show that in, in this movie, but they kind of skip over how many of those different places he went. You know? Yeah. Do you think? And, and you know, we love to play the game of you know if this movie was made today, and we've recast this movie and talked about things that uh, wouldn't actually wouldn't be PC. If they were to make this movie, this would be like a three-picture thing, right? And the, it, you wouldn't have the big showdown between Ming and Flash until the end of the third movie. And no, and, and it needs to end in a sword fight or something, right? Just slamming into him with a rocket ship. That's not... Well, yeah, spoiler. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it's not as cathartic or as fulfilling as... Uh, you know, a big sword fight where they capture him and do whatever at the end. Yeah, it's... I, I could see a thing where the first movie he shows up on... Mon- he lands on Mongo and basically escapes to live to fight another day. And then the next movie is him, you know, winning over the Hawkman or, or Burians or whatever. It, it, and then finally you have the big battle at the end where... And breaking it up into different sections. Um, because... We're less in an era of single standalone movies, especially something genre and big like this. You know what's weird about that, though? The more we get away from that, the more I appreciate an hour and a half long movie. Oh. Get in, tell your story, and then let's go home. Well, but this movie, I mean, it was supposed to have a sequel. It was set up for a sequel. It was just, you know, off-screen stuff caused the, the sequel to not be made. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, not having your star go out and promote the movie is, you know, kind of yeah. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> no, I completely agree. And but uh, yeah, I am with you um, on that, Jeremy. Where uh, sometimes it's just fun, especially a movie that's not too long, uh, well paced, and it's like, okay, it, it's the difference between the original Ghostbusters and the the reboot Ghostbusters from a year or two ago, which had its charms for me. But they did do a lot of setup for sequels, and sequels didn't seem to be anywhere on the mind of the actors in the in the original movie, and uh, it, it, it helps make it feel like a more complete product and not something that's designed to get you back in 18 months to see the next copy of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I would have loved to have seen a second Flash Gordon movie, but where do you go? You know, it's the bad guy's been defeated, quote unquote. You know, there's, there's not, you don't need a follow-up movie. They, they told their story. Throw your popcorn can away, go home. We're done here. 
Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, this was an era where sequels are usually terrible. Well, yeah, sequels used to be garbage back, you know, before Empire Strikes Back or Superman 2. I would say those are the two movies that kind of flipped the dynamic. Before then, uh, sequels were just like, hey, guys, we have an extra $100,000 and 42 minutes of film we already shot that we could use. Can we buff this out, get David Carradine to come in, and, you know, can we fill something in? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I know a great example that's used a lot is just uh, the dip in, I don't want to say dip in quality, but uh, the, how much budget they lost from the first to the second uh, Planet of the Apes movie. Yep. And how hard it was to get the Charles, Charleston Heston to do anything in the second movie because he, he was cool. he was con- contractually obligated but had no interest in doing more. Yeah. Well, how do you follow Planet of the Apes? Is such a good movie. How do you follow that with anything? Which, by the way, I love the last of those movies. It's actually one of my favorites. Or not the last, the third, uh, the one where it's about Caesar. Right. 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 I guess that'd be the fourth. But I love that movie. But yeah, it was shot like on fifteen cents in a shoestring. Right. Um, so yeah, but so God only knows what another flash movie would have been like. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they've been trying to cast one for the last 20 years again, of course, as, as well. And I, I'm afraid that ship has left the barn or that horse has already sailed. Well, um, and, and Eric, you've mentioned before where, what director was it? Uh, Matt Vaughn, Matt Vaughn. Yeah. Um, he, he was in talks to direct a Flash Gordon movie, but then said, uh, after Guardians of the Galaxy came out, that did everything that he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um. No, there's, it, it's, it's why John Carter failed. You know, everybody would seen those tropes because everything's been stealing from John Carter since 1918. I remember there was, um, I was listening to some, uh, Liz Fair music. And my wife walked in and was like, uh, who are you listening to? It's like, Liz Fair. It's like, ah, she's sort of ripping off. And then she like listed one of the more recent cute chicks with a guitar uh, performers. It's like, no, no. Liz Fair was doing this 15, almost 20 years ago. The problem is you hear everyone who came after her and then you, you think she's the ripoff because she wasn't as popular. I, you know, the same as... And this happens a lot in music where um, I, I had a friend who listened to uh, Beach Boys Pet Sounds for the first time recently. And it's like, yeah, just, I was expecting like the second greatest album of all time, and I think it's okay. It's like, well, that's because everything in that album that sounds sort of trite to you now because everyone else has been doing, there has been influenced, and has been aping that for the last forever. Um, and that's the sort of thing with, you know, John Carter, where, you know, so many of the tropes and ideas and stuff that was introduced in that have been ripped off so many times. And then it's hard to go back and do John Carter. Yeah, exactly. You can't do what everybody else has stolen from you again. So Eric, uh, what else do we have? Anything else for minute 59? Not on my end. All right. Well, Jeremy, uh, anything else that you wanted to call out before uh, we've wrapped up this week? Well, yeah, again, let me point people to go check out my other show, Geekish Cast. You can find it at geekishcast.com. But uh, if you want more up-to-date stuff, please just find me on iTunes. Also, I do want to give a quick shout-out to a new show I just launched with uh, pro wrestler Bobby Blaze. 
It's called Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. It's launching on June 2nd. A lot of really funny and cool stories about pro wrestling and uh, us doing our top 10 list of greatest world champions and stuff like that. Very cool. All right. Eric, well, where can people find out more about our little uh, slice of heaven? Well, you can find out more in the Slice of Facebook at the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex, the Slice of Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod there, and the Slice of Email, Minute at gmail.com. All right, very good. Uh, and uh, as always, uh, what we try to do with our last episode of the week, uh, first off, we've got to thank the guys at Star Wars Minute. They're the granddaddy of them all, uh, and none of this minute-by-minute minute craziness would be happening without them. Um, and we, you know, we all rip off from them mercilessly. And it's uh, it, it's 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 very cool that uh, you know, they are so giving to people who uh, have followed in their footsteps. So big thanks to Star Wars Minute. Absolutely. Love Star Wars Minute. And, uh, of course, Eric, i got to thank you. Uh, this is your brainchild, and you bring so much to it, and help uh, help keep me straight. Uh, thank you, my thank you, my good man. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, But I'm feeling really good. It's been a great week. But uh, I have a very, very recent concern now, Eric. I, I don't know what to do. Recent concern? Yeah. I, uh, I, I just, between... Uh, doing this show and doing Cosmic Chipetto and editing these shows together, and uh, I have a pretty full iPod of uh, of uh, podcasts. But now uh, hearing about Jeremy doing a podcast with Bobby Blaze, I was like, that just sounds too cool to give up. I, I don't know how I'm going to have time to follow that and Geekish because these are both sound like uh, you know they're both amazing podcasts, and I'm just running out of hours of the day. As I put, I tried to be philosophical in my uh, senior quote in my high school yearbook, and, and I really wish I had done something different. But what I said was, I pulled some quote that said, don't say you don't have enough time. You have the same number of hours in a day as Mother Teresa, Albert Einstein, Martin Luther King, etc., 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 blah, blah, blah. So if you're feeling the pinch in the 24-hour day, don't worry, Brad. Flash will save everyone. Thanks for joining us, listeners. Be here next week as we welcome Curtis Blues from Clue Minute. While Princess Aura faces the wrath of Clytus and Kella, Prince Baron and Fico make plans to dispose of Flash for good. Who will save us now? Incredible adventures await you here on Flash Gordon Minute. So 
sky Cause if you're gonna spy You better spy home He's always there When the chips are beginning to fall He wouldn't care If they kicked him and grabbed him and shot him Tough job for any man, but his hours are flexible, and he's got a great dental plan. By the way, if you walked in late, allow me to reiterate the name of this movie is Bob.